Assume nothing. Question everything. And start thinking. This is the Thinking Atheist Podcast. Hosted by Seth Andrews. Natalie says that I've got a dark side. Now, I don't think this is true, but... I do have a fascination with the dark sides of the human condition, and I'm a sucker for anything that gets into the brains and behaviors of inhumanity. So, big surprise, I've been neck deep in the Wondrium series called Extreme Offenders Psychological Insights. It's taught by forensic psychologist Catherine Ramsland. Now, Professor Ramsland peels back the onion on killers like Peter Curtin, Edmund Kemper, Jeffrey Dahmer, and others. I used to be really simplistic about this stuff. You know, I just checked the box. They were born evil. No, no, psychology says things are not that simple. This is really a course about understanding the mechanisms that make the monsters. Wondrium is such a rich educational resource, over 8,000 hours of videos. They also work great as audio if you're multitasking, professional, incredible, and commercial-free. Learn about what you love and love learning about it with Wondrium. Do what I did. Sign up for Wondrium now. Right now, you can get two years of Wondrium for the price of one. That's a fantastic deal. Only... If you sign up through my special URL, go to wondrium.com slash Seth. That's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash Seth. Wondrium.com slash Seth. The billboard is going to happen. It launches on the 21st of February. A short version of a long story is I was trying to get the word out starting in my hometown of Tulsa about my second podcast, True Stories with Seth Andrews. So I called a billboard advertising company and I'm like, I've never done this before. How does it even work? What does it cost? And holy cow, thousands of dollars to have five billboards. Actually, it was thousands to have two, but if you paid... A little more, you got five, which I'm sure is a sales thing, right? Added value, it's part of how they set the hook. But it was still a pretty good deal in good locations. Thousands of dollars, that's a pretty big thing for a guy like me. And so I I did a very selfish thing, and I went to this community, and I said, hey, if you kind of have enjoyed the work over the years, and you kind of want to help out a friend, and you got five, ten bucks or whatever, uh, do you like to be a part of it? Here's the deal. Many hands make for light work. It's money most people wouldn't miss because it's just a few dollars, less than the cost of a sushi roll, and you could help make it happen. And you did. In fact, I think we hit the goal in an hour or an hour and a half. So the billboard campaign is going to happen. I'll put photographs on uh, my social media pages when it happens. It's going to be weird. (laughs) It's going to be weird driving down the highway and, oh, my God, look at that. Yeah. Will it result in a spike in listeners? Will it be the spark that ignites a wildfire? I have no idea. It might be crickets, but it's going to be a fun experiment. And honestly, the second show has helped me. It's helped me keep this broadcast more fresh. I have debunked the Bible so much. I have gone through... The same apologetics arguments so much. The eye is too complex to have evolved, and Hitler was an atheist, and look at the trees, and where did the first cell come from, and 
evolution is just a theory, and how did something come from nothing? If the Bible isn't true, how come it's the most popular book ever written? Billions of people believe in Christ. Are they all delusional? Here's the historical evidence for an actual Jesus. Blah, blah, blah. And I know they're important conversations to have, and I will continue to have them. But God, I need something fresh, like I need some other thing, (laughs) which allows me to scratch a storytelling itch, and then I can come back here feeling a little bit refreshed and ready for the task at hand. And granted, on this show, we've been talking a lot more about the reasons we believe, you know, talking to David McCraney, getting psychologists and educators in here to talk about the brain and belief, how we come to knowledge, how to approach other people, wanting them to come to knowledge. You know, I'm, I've been more interested in that and also rehumanizing everything in this hyper polarized world where everybody's gouging each other's eyeballs out. You've noticed maybe we've been doing a lot more humanistic stuff, but we will continue to tackle The doctrines and the dogmas and the myths, the superstitions, the scriptures, the religious influences that seek to lock the rest of us out of the world that they want to dominate, those conversations will continue to happen, I promise. I talk a lot here about de-escalation. I talk a lot about uh, how we need to humanize and do better in our interactions with those that we disagree with. I say that. I speak about that, I write about that, and then I fail. And here's what happened. So I posted something on Facebook about false equivalency and binary thinking. And what I was trying to get at was we need to go after the people who are really infecting the world with bad ideas, hate, bigotry, etc. But I also think that an honest person has to acknowledge that we are all flawed and human and we can have problems in our own camp. And don't tell me that atheists are immune from this and don't tell me that my fellow lefties are immune from this. A total intolerance of self-reflection or criticism. This happens. It's a human thing. I've seen it, Abby, as somebody is like, well... I, you know, like, I don't think this is the right way to approach this. I don't think that this is constructive. I think this person, who is a, a left, liberal, atheist, humanist, I don't know, whatever. This person's acting in a toxic way. This is not good. They're causing more problems than they're solving. I don't think. And they become totally intolerant of criticism. Why in the world would you ever talk about us when they are so much worse? Total intolerance of criticism. And I think a lot of that is problematic because it it leaves all of the criticism to a potentially dishonest other, right? The other side is looking at us and they're the ones who are pointing out problems. And secondly, I think it's just dishonest for us to think that, well, we never make mistakes or have a bad idea or overreach or have bad tactics or why in the world would we not look at each other and say, all right, Am I helping or hurting? Can we do this better? I've seen terrible people hide behind a cause. And this is a really sticky strategy. What they do is they'll go out and just be awful to their fellow human beings. Just terrible. Or have a really bad idea. But they do it in the name of a legitimately worthy cause. You know, it's gender equality or, or racial equality or, or something like that. And you go and say, well, I think on a specific point you are wrong or your tactic is not a good one or on a totally unrelated issue. This is problematic. I think you need to take another look, that kind of thing. And then what they do is they stand behind the cause and they say, aha, if you criticize me, you must be an enemy of gender and racial equality. I mean, it's it's kind of an ingenious strategy. Those people exist out there. Anyway, I've been talking about de-escalation. Can we do a better job? So I'm on Facebook and I posted about how I think we need to realize that we can all be binary thinkers. Sometimes there are more than one answer to a question. 
Sometimes somebody might not be 100% right or 100% wrong. It's a complex, messy world. We need to be having these discussions. And somebody went into the comment section and said, yes, but the Nazis who exterminated the Jews during the Second World War were wrong and had to be defiantly stood against. And I'm just thinking, yeah, I just didn't feel like I'd been hurt. And so I knee-jerked a response snark at full volume and i said jesus christ i'm not talking about the goddamn nazis <laughs> i'm talking about the people who did not exterminate six million jews that's an easy i would just uh just knee jerk right into that the person responded something to the effect of yeah i kind of get what you're saying i'm sorry this is the temperature of our first interaction I'm a fan of your work. And I thought to myself, oh, shit. Was my response helpful? I was frustrated. And I just burst out. I just, I just let him have it. And it's, I think it's a legitimate frustration. It seems like every time I talk about these nuanced conversations that we need to be having on complex ideas and our own flaws against their flaws, blah, 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 somebody invokes the Nazis. God, yes, it's frustrating. But my response was totally unhelpful. Did I de-escalate? No. Did I try to reach an understanding right off the bat? No. I just kicked back. So in the thread, I went back, elaborated, and then apologized. I'm embarrassed at my response. I should have been better. And this person's response was, no worries, I totally get it. Still a fan, thank you for everything. I mean, it was it de-escalated then. But I was made aware again of my own, you know, I mean, I'm guilty. I'm a work in progress. I do not always get this right. I am sometimes the victim of my own on a lack of patience. Some days you just have a bad day. I'm not excusing it, but some days you, you just have a short fuse. You ever feel that way? One day you got plenty of bandwidth, and the next day you log on to the world, and you are in the red zone already, and oh, look, it's an avalanche of whatever. And you just blow. Maybe there's a lesson there about how it might not be too late if you make a mistake. Go back and say the words of apology and reconciliation and acknowledge, I should have been better. I had a really human moment. I screwed up. I hope you'll allow me some consideration there. I'm trying to situationalize in my brain how that might have played out if I'd handled it better in the first place, right? If we'd have started with our point of agreement. Yeah, you and I line up. Right, The Nazis of World War II who exterminated Jews. Yes, they needed to be crushed and destroyed for the sake of human goodness. Right, And there was no de-escalating or aligning or trying to find you know, a shared humanity. That is a case where, no, it doesn't work. So I could have started there and then elaborated and said, I'm not talking about the Nazis. I'm talking about people who are part of our own group or cause or whatever who are still Human, what happens when we lose the ability to self-reflect as flawed creatures? If I'd started that way, man, we could have saved so much time. Anyway, uh, let's see. I've got some people who are calling in to the broadcast. I've got Dan at 815. Are you there? I'm here, Seth. Thanks for calling, Dan. What's on your mind? I meant to call one of your earlier live streams last year during that Supreme Court case that obviously garnered a lot of attention with the high school football coach and, you know, high school prayer and leading those types of things in athletics. And I just wanted to kind of comment on that whole situation um, because I've been a sports reporter or was. I just recently left local media in general. But I was a sports reporter for almost 10 years, and I covered too many high school games to count. And aside from just having to listen to the uh, national anthem about a billion times, the one thing that really 
irked me all the time was seeing every single game. Like it, it was so rampant. The prayer after a game, sometimes even before. And I was just thinking when this whole, you know, Supreme Court case came up, I was thinking to myself, well, wow, this is, this is just commonplace. It's something I feel that is so commonplace and so ingrained in our society that even if there would be legal battles won in individual cases, even at the Supreme Court level, I am pessimistic about actual change being implemented across the country in this fashion because there's so much pushback to it. There's so much cultural relevance that people find wanting to have their kids play for, you know, God-fearing coaches that even if there be a win here or there, the larger pervasiveness of this would still persist and there wouldn't be enough lawyers even to litigate each case, even at a state-by-state level. So I sometimes wonder if we should just split into two countries because I I wonder if it's even reconcilable. I I would think I tend to lean sometimes into cynicism. I think, well, if you live in a country that would reelect Marjorie Taylor Greene, if you live in a country that would love Ron DeSantis as he buses up undocumented immigrants under false pretenses and drives them out of state and and, you know, drops him off and leaves and then chuckles to himself. You know, he's over there chortling and everybody loves him. We, you know, with the Supreme Court right. that's become an activist wing of the religious conservatives. I look around sometimes and I think maybe it's unfixable. But then I think the greater sin than cynicism is to give up. And I would rather go down fighting. I don't know if we'll go down or not. I, part of me wants to think that the rise of... The religious nuns, maybe not in my lifetime, but the rise of the the seculars will overwhelm all of this Christian nationalism and this wild, ideological, conspiratorial, bigoted, hateful insanity. But you know, I I um I I tend to look at the world every day and say I've lost hope. Isn't that sad? Yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. I I think it's something you know as it relates to high school athletics. I mean, I feel like it's just being kind of taken advantage of by the various coaches and administrations in this country that they know the larger majority of their communities are in support of them and what they're doing, and so I don't think they really fear any repercussions themselves either because well if one kid has a problem with it so be it we live in you know america and it's one nation under god and it's like they they wrap up teaching values obviously what high school athletics is largely about trying to teach kids discipline teamwork all those things they wrap that up and in their minds it's indistinguishable from teaching faith and religion because to many of the religious people in this country, it's all part of one thing. To them, losing religion or not having faith anymore is losing all of your values and things associated with it. And so that's that's the most concerning aspect for me is that, one, they don't fear repercussions, and on top of it, equate a lack of prayer after a game with kids not being taught the right values. And how much just, of it, it is, is, a, a, is a flex, right? How much of it is, well, it's our party, yeah, yeah. right? We sit at the head of the table and everybody else gets the scraps and we determine what, where, and when. And then you see an absolute surrender of values or maybe the, just the embrace of awful values. Donald Trump goes on Truth Social and says, maybe we should abolish the Constitution. What? Excuse right. me, what? And and people aren't, but tens of millions of people still love the guy. And I think to myself, this is the desire to trod on everything, be it the Constitution, the rule of law, the courts, the Supreme Courts, human goodness. They'll do anything to hang on to power. And that breeds even yeah, more cynicism in me. Yeah. I feel you, brother. I, I have... Yeah, real struggles with it. But right after I have that admission, I say, what are we going to do? Quit. I don't want to let him win. I'm going to, I'm going to scrap as hard as I can. Let's go out and encounter the negative with the positive. Let's counter 
bigotry with acceptance, equality, humanism, the human experience. Let's all share this planet together. And I think we beat that drum as, as hard as we can. So, Yep. It's back to work. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate your calling, brother. Thank you. Yeah. See you later. Five, four, zero. Marcy, are you with me? I am. Thanks for calling. You sound a little distant. Are you with me? Are you on speaker? I'm on speaker. There you go. Marcy. Thanks for calling. What's on your mind? I've been lobbying. I'm the state director for Wyoming for the American Atheists. I've been lobbying our legislature and i just needed to talk to normal people for a while (laughs) (laughs) sit down at the bar have a drink let's talk i've got coffee you can have whatever you want marcy uh by the way i'm on the board of directors of american atheists so you and i have a uh, we have a kinship you and i are we're kindred spirits i guess in that way we have a, a familial connection go ahead what's going on in wyoming well like so many other states there is a full court press to criminalize care for transgender children, any care, any care at all. For the, the one failed where they wanted to criminalize the parents, but they immediately came back with another one where it was just go after the doctors. It's the state who already, already has trouble hiring enough doctors, attracting enough medical professionals, and just drive me crazy. This isn't the only horrible bill. Oh, it's happening in my home state. They just introduced a, a bill that would uh, deny care. They are trying to sell in our public school systems that we are a Christian nation and that all of our founders were Christian. I said online, tell me you know nothing about American history without saying you know nothing about American history. I mean, on what exactly. planet, right? It's so frustrating. These history revisionists and dominionists and people accept blindly. Like, I, I want to tell them, why don't you go crack open a book and check their claims against the facts and the history? You might be surprised. And and yet, because it validates what they already felt, they just lap it up and say, oh, yeah, Christian nation, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, James Madison, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, they were all devout, pulpit-pounding, Bible-believing Christians. And that simply is not the case. Exactly. I wrote a letter to our local newspaper editor, read a letter to the editor, regarding the fact that the United States is not a Christian nation. Generated a whole bunch of responses from the public, but the astonishing part was an editorial proving me wrong. Wait, they wrote an from entire pub- from, piece from and published yeah. it? One of the employees of the paper wrote the piece. The interesting thing is the woman who wrote it is a Messianic Jew, and I thought Christian apologetics was bizarre, but when you blend in Jewish stuff with it, it is mind-bending. <laughs> <Yeah>. Ridiculous. <laughs> it's, uh, because somehow she could prove the Trinity, then therefore the United States is a Christian country. You know, sort of let's say that Jefferson, Washington, Adams, Madison, etc. were devout Bible-believing Christians. So what? Let's say that their claim was actually true. And that Jefferson didn't take a razor blade and slice out the supernatural parts of the Gospels, right? Let's tell him, let's say James Madison wasn't a critic of religion or that Franklin didn't go after the Puritans or that Payne didn't write the Age of Reason or that John Adams didn't sign the Treaty of Tripoli. Let's say that all that didn't happen and they were all devout believers in their personal lives. They still constructed a founding document that is God-free. Yep. Now you got me venting, Marcy. You you called and you got me started. And I just, yeah. you, you push that button. Wyoming is, uh, it's like one big waving Trump flag. Uh, yes, yes. My bumper stickers get a lot of dirty looks. What's it say? Oh, all my atheist and very progressive bumper stickers, they just, they, they glare at me. You've never been vandalized? Nobody. I've never, never, no. They're actually, uh, I think we'll see more of that because we're having a lot of people move in from out of state. They're, they're calling themselves political refugees, yeah. and they're going to be much, much harder to live with. It's interesting as people talk about sex and gender, what I think is so absent specifically from one side 
is empathy. You know, when you see the people who are attacked for who they are, you see the skyrocketing suicide rates among trans people. You see the vilification and the oppression, the dehumanization, and you're like, oh, where's your humanity? You know, how could you be this calloused and cold against a fellow human being who is simply trying to be and live in an authentic way? And I don't know if it's just they don't want anybody to be different or they need a villain or they see the devil everywhere or all the above makes me crazy. Yeah. In the hearing this morning, they actually were blaming the transgender care for the high suicide rate amongst transgender people. Well, I've heard victim blaming in this context very much. It's because they're in rebellion. They're in rebellion against their bodies and they're in rebellion against God. Therefore, they commit suicide because they just can't live with that rebellion. It's so pathetic. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, I need to get back to watching the Go, 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 <laughs> go. So, thank you. Thank you. It helps you talk to somebody that's normal. Oh, I hope this has been good therapy. <laughs> be safe. Be good. I'll see you later. Thanks. All right. See Thanks. you. Bye-bye. We need community. We need to speak to voices that, that understand, don't we? I'm that way. I feel very alone sometimes in my home state of Oklahoma. Even most of my friends, and I love them, and, and I'm so thankful for them, but we have pronounced disagreements in a lot of ways, and I like to talk about the things that matter to me, and yet I find myself in some ways I'm, I'm struck by the fact that I am, I am a minority in that way, and I crave connection. I crave being able to be around people who say, man, I feel you. Oh my gosh, I've thought that thought. And I've, I've had that experience and I have this concern and I share all of this. I, there's a communal aspect that this community has helped me really, really scratch that itch. And then, of course, getting into the new year here, we're talking about getting out into the convention circuit. By the way, I'm going to be speaking at the Florida Free Thought Conference in Orlando, March 10th, 11th, and 12th, freeflow.org, freeflo.org. I just finished my speech this morning. It's a speech about sex. Never done a public speech on sex before. I'm not an expert on sex, but I am pretty well-versed in the church's approach to sex. And I guarantee you will not be bored. Freeflow.org, F-L-O, March 10th, 11th, and 12th. Also, the American Atheist National Convention is going to be in Phoenix. That's coming up on Easter weekend in April. You can go to atheists.org to find out more about that. Eli at 916. Hi. Hey, how are you doing, Seth? I'm well. Thanks for calling. And what do you think? Yeah, I wanted to ask you a question. So very interesting discussions that you had with some previous callers. And my question to you is, um, well, I have some friends and family who are largely secular. They're not religious. They kind of share our worldviews on that. But, you know, they get caught up with, oh, look what the other side is doing on DEI or look at the border. I want more tax cuts. And as a result, they tend to align themselves with the religious fundamentalists. And then we get our Marjorie Taylor Greens and our uh, Ron DeSantis's and abortion bans and government in our mailbox and our bedrooms and our libraries. So how do you convince these people that largely agree with us on the religious stuff, that all of that stuff is worse than whatever imaginary problem they have with DEI or taxes or whatever the case may be. I don't think we can control someone else's mind. I think we can present a contrary point of view, and I think there are methods to do that. If possible, not attacking, you idiot, how could you be so stupid? I mean, that's not going to produce the result <laughs> that you and I are looking for. I know some people who are lovely human beings, and they are anti-abortion because they are convinced that at the moment of conception, Jesus or God or whoever puts a little soul inside the woman, and then that soul 
mm. is a human mm. being. And so everything else became secondary. They became a one-issue voter because they felt that abortion is murder. So all Donald Trump has to do mm. is reverse his position on abortion, which he did, and then go forward and say, they're ripping babies out of the womb and twirling their evil mustaches, those Democrats. And that's really all he needed right. to hear. And everything else became secondary because he's preventing a murder. And then the rest is kind of collateral damage. Well, he's not real happy about it, but it's kind of the lesser of two evils. People find a number of reasons, I think, to justify. I understand some of the conservative concerns about government waste. And this is a great example of nuance, right? Because I'm a believer in government programs, society taking care of its poor and disadvantaged and providing programs and infrastructure and education and all these things. This is part of a society, and I think our tax dollars should do that. But it's also very true that there is a monumental amount of corruption and waste in government. And so... And these two things exist in the same space. So I can empathize with somebody who says government's too bloated and there's too much waste and I'm paying too much in taxes and I work hard and blah, blah, blah. I'd rather put my money into my family and my life. I understand. I empathize with that. You know, those types of things mm -hmm. I, I kind of get. But I have a suspicion that the reason they're not too concerned about Christian nationalism is because, and correct me if I'm wrong, they fall into a demographic that is not directly affected by it. I mean, I'm guess are they are they not a minority? Are they not someone who is LGBTQ? Are they not someone who is are they white? You know, I'm 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 wondering if it's because yeah. it doesn't really affect them personally, then it doesn't matter. Well, yeah, you're you're definitely correct about that to an extent, but I think certain things will affect everybody, whether they like it or not, whether yeah. it's books that their kids can read or reproductive freedom. I mean, either you're a woman or, you know, likely you're in a relationship with someone. So, yeah, I think this stuff is short-sighted. They think it won't affect them, but ultimately it will affect everyone. You know, it's and like, my concern is... I'm sorry, yeah, I walked all over you, Eli. Forgive me. Go ahead. Your concern no, is what? Well, yeah, my concern is that I agree with you on all the stuff you mentioned about there being government waste and we need to have we need to rein some of that stuff in. But yeah. my concern is that stuff gets, you know, the, the religious nationalism is a much bigger threat than whatever excesses there might be in government spending. I think we can agree with that. And I that agree. perspective gets lost because once we have a theocracy, you know, government spending, that stuff is not going to register on the top issues of concern. Yeah, the perfect is the enemy of the good. And I really think that that is very much the truth. And how do you create a culture of support and advocacy and, and a striving for equality if you've got one group claiming dominion over everybody else? It's funny. It's like someone who has a child and all of a sudden that child comes out as gay or trans or whatever. The person, the parent who was unconcerned about the rights of gay people, or maybe had been against gay rights, gay marriage, etc. all of a sudden has someone in their personal inner circle who has come out as gay. And it's amazing to hear the 100%. stories of parents who have switched their perceptions, where they went from judgment to acceptance. They went from bigotry to love. And then they started to take LGBT rights much more personally, and they got more involved because it was something that related to someone they cared about. And I find this is very often the case. You know, how do you get someone who sees it as an impersonal thing because it doesn't affect them? How do you get them to take it personally? That's a challenge. Yeah, you just have to provide some real life examples, I guess. I mean, it's, uh, it's unfortunate that humans think that way in many cases, but if it doesn't touch you, oftentimes the issue doesn't exist. No, and, and I think you've hit on one of the solutions. And I think to humanize the problem, that is the first step. It's easy for someone to demonize and throw stones over the wall, right? If Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, yep. actually, she's a bad example because I think she's a psychopath. But let's say somebody else is throwing stones over the wall at an impersonal other. But at some mm -hmm. point, that other becomes a human being in three dimensions with a personality, with a heart, with a mind, with hopes, with dreams, with loved ones, with, you know, this fragile, amazing life on this planet. And they see them as part of the human condition. 
the humanization of that other begins to open up a door. And I think that's mm -hmm. probably where we start. And I think one of the tools that we have to humanize the other is through stories. We tell the stories of what mm -hmm. they've been through and how they are and what their character is like and the challenges they've faced and the discrimination that has been sort of suffocating their lives and how they've been limited and yet they want to be liberated and emancipated and all they want is to live their own life. I mean, you can do that in a story format and I think there is some utility. And uh, that's where I'm starting anyway in my own circle. I'll let you know how it works out, okay? Oh, absolutely. I completely agree with that. Um, it, can I comment on something else that you brought up earlier in one of your calls? Oh, yeah, please do. You mentioned that sometimes you get down and you think that we have irreconcilable differences within the country. You know, how can some of the country elect Marjorie Taylor Greene? And are we going to be able to stay as one country? And my thoughts on that are, I think we will, but in the event that we don't, and we have a peaceful divorce, let's say, of the religious states versus the non, you know, the secular states, I think the job growth, you know, the immigration of skilled labor, young women, educated professionals are all going to flock to the secular country, and that economic growth is going to overwhelm the other country in this example. And they're going to be begging and screaming for aid, just like they do after any natural disaster. Those That's are my interesting. Two on that. That's interesting because there is a concern now of what they're calling brain drain. I know a scientist who lives in Florida, lived actually, past tense, lived in Florida. Yep. And the insanity of the last few years, he just had it. Screw this. Mm -hmm. I'm done with this state. And he moved to a more progressive part of the country. And there's a concern exactly. that more and more people are going to do that. They're going to say, fine, if this is going to be strawberry red, bigoted, MAGA country, Christian nationalist country, whatever, we're out of here. We're going to go to more enlightened waters. And there's a concern mm -hmm. that this will allow the nationalists to be unchecked in those zones. But your thought is, is that the more enlightened the more educated, the more accepting, the more humanistic, et cetera, those parts of the country will actually become hubs of prosperity yep. and advancement that the rest of the country is going to one day need. Yes, exactly right. And imagine how much more that's going to be exacerbated with that example of the Florida scientists leaving. Imagine how much more that's going to happen if the country does separate and all of a sudden you no longer have the protections of the U.S. Constitution at all in Florida. That's you know, how much quicker are those scientists going to move to California? Now, let's chew on that. That's an interesting perspective. You know, one day they have to, I don't know, I mean, if they haven't destroyed us, one day they have to come to us to get the best of medical care, to find true education, to better the human condition, or maybe they just don't give a shit and they just wallow in the shallows for the rest of their lives. I don't know. There's something to think about. Eli, I appreciate the, uh, the offer of that very, very much. Thank you so much. All right, see you. This sounds blasphemous to the young Christian nationalist patriot Seth Andrews, but I've thought in my life, I've become disillusioned. I love my country, right? But I don't love it because it is my like I was born here. Right? Have you noticed how many people say I, this? This is the greatest country, and I love my country because this. I'm an accident of birth. I happen to be born inside this zone and the lines in that zone were subjectively drawn forever ago by people therefore my zone is better than everybody else's zone i am superior my zone my zone is superior now i can take that zone personally right i can want it to survive and thrive and succeed and achieve the best version of itself and that's what i think is a, a healthy manifestation of love of country like i I love the United States in the sense that I want to see it achieve its best version of itself. But gone are the days when I look at us against the other countries of the world and say we're superior because we're not. And beyond that, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud because I know if, if this met the ears of uh, like my fundamentalist family, if someone offered me the chance to live in... Auckland, <laughs> you know, I mean, someone, hey, Canada's calling. I think I'd be good with it. Like, I wouldn't grieve not living inside these borders. 
And sometimes, depending on how secular the country is, it sounds pretty damn attractive. And I found that's it's an interesting part of my own journey. Everybody else, you know, they wave the flag, oh, beautiful, for spacious skies, right? For amber waves of grain, and the tear comes down, and everybody's got their hand over their heart, America. And I'm like, well, there's a jingoism to that that kind of bothers me. Can I be a citizen of the United States, but also be an equal citizen of the world? And you notice how terrified the Christian nationalists in this country are. One of the parts of their apocalypse narrative is the one world government. And this reveals a tremendous amount of xenophobia. We superior, they inferior. So the whole idea that we as part of the human condition would reach out to each other, extend an olive branch, ally as human beings across oceans, across border lines, and perhaps even build a world where we would be the best version of ourselves. We had fewer wars and less poverty and less hunger, and we were curing disease, not as nations. This wasn't a horse race. We wanted a race where everybody could win. Why are some people so freaked out about that? If you'd have said something like that to me 25 years ago, I'd have been like, what are you, some kind of hippie liberal? Maybe I'm just a, maybe I'm a hippie liberal. I don't know. Lots more to come, including a call from a guy who is, well, he's getting a lot of grief from his religious family. We're going to talk to him and more coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So thankful for your support on Patreon. You get the show early and commercial free. Patreon.com slash Seth Andrews. Continuing kind of a potpourri show today with calls on whatever's on your mind. I've got 479. Thanks for waiting on me. Who's this? This is Matt. Thanks for calling, Matt. What's on your mind? Well, listening to this, uh, you were talking about like talking with people and not really escalating. <laughs> I have a problem. Like, uh, I'd talk to a lot of people. My friends are majority Christians, and it never escalates, but my family, it does. <laughs> it, I don't know how to get past that <laughs> or if I can. Well, um, nobody can tell you what your approach would be. And there's a time for escalation. There's a time to get good and pissed off and say so. And I've, I've been that guy yeah. and there will be times when I do get into that. But have you ever had success with putting somebody on blast? Have they ever changed their mind? I mean, what's your end goal? Are you just wanting to vent and tell somebody I disagree and this is stupid? Or are you trying to change minds? Well, I would like I would like for them to change their mind, but 
the last time I blew up, I don't know if it did any good. It was Thanksgiving and, uh, I was about to leave. Like we were done. The, the, the trip had been good. And somebody brought up that shooter who uh, shot the LGBT club, the club Q shooting. You can remember the name for a second. And I was like, I can't let this go because I knew they were going to say things that were bad about LGBT people. And I was like, well, I'm not going to sit here and let it go unchecked. (laughs) uh, A little ways into it, my mom can turn anything into the abortion topic. And it turned into that. I don't know how. And then um, my sister called me a baby killer and I blew up. And I don't think any minds were changed, anything like that. Okay, hang on. Then my grandma went on the. Hang on. Hold <laughs> okay. on. I'm going to, I got to yeah. jump in here. Okay. First of all, let me ask a question. <laughs> the Q Club shooting, they thought what? It, it was. Like, were they not they grieved that, about it? Were, did they feel like this was God's judgment? No, they they went on saying, oh, all crimes are hate crimes and all that to that degree. Okay. And I was like, no, this this was a hate crime. Okay. <laughs> like, well, the, the other and, thing I wanted yeah. to say is this. What you've just described to me is goes far beyond an ideological disagreement. This is mm-hmm. a statement, a dehumanizing of people, and an attack on you as an individual. That immediately becomes a boundary issue. And that shit, mm-hmm. you do not have to put up with. And so yeah. that decision becomes yours. Am I willing to enter a zone where I will become attacked? Family or no, do I give them permission to attack me? by allowing them into my space are they violating my wishes and the line that i have drawn and my thinking is and this is just me hell no would i subject myself to that i i would if someone called me a baby killer that is an immediate removal from my circle you have now surrendered any permissions that i may have given you to be in my life family or no you crossed a line that's what i'm thinking for you like like, what's the cost benefit on engaging with people who have called you a villain? Yeah, <laughs> not much. <laughs> uh, no, I'm asking you. Yeah. You're in the room. Nope. Are you in the room because you sense you have a feeling of familial obligation? And that's totally natural. I get that. Yeah. Why do it? Yeah. Yeah. It was in this in this case. It is familial obligation. It's like, oh, they're family. You're supposed to be with your family. Okay, that's a lie. All right, that that yeah. is a lie, and it's a lie that is often rooted in fundamentalist Christianity when they talk about honoring your mother and your father, which I get to a degree, but the Bible also talks about those who dishonor their mother and father will not live long lives. It actually says that God will kill you early if you dishonor your parents. Many people aren't aware of that verse. There are a lot of gears in this machine, but at the end of the day, I don't care whose family tree they happen to be on. The minute they begin speaking hate speech, the minute they attack you and say you're a killer or you're subhuman or even imply as such, I mean, you have no obligation to subject yourself to that. And honestly, as a matter of principle, I fantasize about you saying no more. You do not have my permission. You are trespassing in my life. I draw this line. If you crossed it, I'm out. You've crossed it. Have a nice day. I mean, I hate to see anybody lose their family, but what do they bring into your life that's worth having? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> and the part of the funny part was that was uh, my wife was pregnant right there with me when I'm having this talk. And <laughs> what's her take on uh, it? I mean, you can share as much as uh, you want, but. She was trying to stay out of it as best as she could, but she was pretty unhappy with the whole whole situation. And she's she's to a point now where it's like it's your call if we're seeing your family. <laughs> like, um, I am not I, a family counselor, like right? I'm not a family counselor. I am not a licensed professional. I am a friend, and I can <laughs> hear the voices of everybody 
or most of the people within the sound of my voice saying, you deserve better. I would just encourage you as a friend to step back and evaluate. What do they bring into my life that's worth having? Is there respect given? Are they observing boundaries? And if they are not, you should give yourself permission to protect yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Yes. Um, Just one more thing, if you got time. I've wanted to become more active doing things and finding a community around me, but I just don't know where to look. I kind of get on Facebook and I look for free thought communities around me, but I don't know which ones are good, which what's what. And uh, I didn't know if you might have a place to look. I don't know if there is a hub for local groups. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit like herding cats with some of us. Yeah. (laughs) Getting everybody together. But I also know that there are free thought humanist secular groups that have everything from guest speakers to a night at the pub to bowling night. They go to concerts. They get together and do other activities. They play games. They hang out. How to find your local group is, I mean, that's a beyond the Google search. I mean, may I ask what part of the country you live in? Northwest Arkansas. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's going to be a tall order. Yeah. (laughs) Let me throw a a, a sonar ping out to the community and and see if anybody else knows of a group in Mm -hmm. your relative area. And uh, you may have to crawl to that meeting in the prone position for your own safety in the state of Arkansas. But let me see what yeah, I can yeah, find yeah. out. Everybody in the comment section, <laughs> throw throw a link out if you know anybody in his part of Arkansas. Thanks for the call, brother, and all my best. I hope things yeah, work thank, out, okay? Yeah, thank you. It's yeah. been great. Yeah, thank see you. you. Bye. I'm self-conscious. I, I just essentially told the guy, if it was me, I would tell those people to fuck off. Do I have the right to say that I mean, as just an every person? Fred at 330, are you there? Yes. Thanks for calling. What's on your mind, Fred? Oh, well, <laughs> I missed the beginning of, of this because I was busy watching your blood cult video. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, uh, for those YouTube. who aren't aware, I, I released a full speech about how Christianity itself, even though it's mainstream, is actually at its core a blood cult. We get into blood rituals like communion songs, like are you washed in the blood, etc. And we reframed the how you know we've normalized the abnormal. Thanks for watching the speech, though. I appreciate it. On the topic of the blood cult, I was wondering why it was entirely that you were using made-up references for Christians to look to to see how silly it was. Because it seemed to me that there are a lot of real references to different religions that do things that Christians are very much afraid of and uh, vilify, like in the Satanic Panic. Not a religion in itself, but of course there are vampires who bathe in blood and not to mention drink it. There's the ancient cult, uh, I believe, of Mithras from ancient Rome, where a bull was sacrificed and people bathed in the blood, or at least that's what uh, many people, uh, looking back at it, believe was done at this time. And I'll use the term voodoo because that's what most people will recognize, but there are sacrifices in that animals. There are other sacrifices that go on in other religions. I have seen videos of of goats being sacrificed and uh, birds being sacrificed, like the chickens. And then there are some other intriguing similarities with voodoo, like dancing in the spirit and stuff. And I think this would make a nice addendum to your blood cult speech. Well, I think my tactic was to take some of the teachings and dogmas and show the similarities. Muhammad rides up to heaven on a winged horse. That's crazy. But Elijah goes up on the fiery chariot, right? We have talking animals in Hinduism. That's crazy. But we have the talking donkey in Genesis. I was trying to to relate the teachings back and forth. This is what Dr. John Loftus calls the outsider test for faith. But I totally take your point. Might be a way for us to find common ground with the believer as we get into those conversations. Oh, thank you very much. I I truly enjoy talking to you. This is the first time I've tried 
calling in, and I'm quite happy. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate all of your work, and I truly appreciate it. Oh, you're Thank very you very kind. Much. Thank you so much. Oh, bye. Totally unrelated to anything else we've been talking about. This is just something that just popped into my brain. I'm appro- it's approaching mealtime here, and I've been thinking I'm going to DoorDash my food. For those who may be out of the country, I'm get- do you have DoorDash in like, I don't know, Canada and Australia? Probably not. I don't know. DoorDash, it became big for me during COVID when we were all in quarantine. But you just pull up this app and you grab a restaurant and the menu pops up and you choose what you want and you say, I would like that. You pay with a credit card, add a little bit of a tip for a driver. And then like 45 minutes later, somebody shows up and drops the food on your porch. So I'm sitting here as we've been uh, talking and I've been thinking, man, I'm hungry. So I've got, you know, sushi, Italian, I've got burgers. I've got, I'm trying to decide. Uh, Natalie, have I told the story? Natalie always makes fun of me because I once door dashed a dozen donuts. My nephew had told me about a time when he, he door dashed a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts and they brought him right to his door. And I was like, well, I didn't know you could do that. So I was sitting at home. And again, this is during COVID when you could actually drive to Krispy Kreme and you could show them your COVID vaccination card and they would give you a free donut. It's a 12-minute drive from my house. But I was craving donuts. So I pulled out the DoorDash app and I ordered a dozen donuts just because I could and I had it delivered. And I think it was like $20 for a dozen donuts. It was just stupid. I told Natalie about it. And she's like, what's wrong with you? How lazy are you? Get your ass in the car. Take your COVID card. Go get. I gave almost all of the donuts to the neighbor kids. I think I ate two or three. <laughs> gave the. I'm like, oh, they've got a metabolism. I'll just give my donuts to them. And Natalie's always talking about that. She's like, did you door dash a dozen donuts today for $20? No, I didn't. It was a one-time thing. Just a story to tell. Just something I did because I learned that I could do it. I'm just saying. 602, Stephen, are you with me? I am with you. Appreciate you being here. What's on your mind? So um, I've been listening since the beginning, and, and some of your calls have touched on this. And I'm wondering, as I have these conversations with believers or whatever we want to call them, what I find myself running up against the most is their sense of identity and ego because the people that I feel are most open to having nuanced discussions or, or even logical discussions that are less nuanced, you can see the cognitive dissonance happening. You can see the gears grinding and, and coming to a halt as you start to pull things apart in a logical way. But because of their pride, for lack of a better word, it's like they can't let go. Either they can't handle that they've believed in something for so long that this has been deconstructed right before their eyes. Not that I'm a great debater, but I I have some of the key arguments when we do discuss things. Or it's a sense of I identify myself as this. And if I stop believing in what I've been told to believe and what I've been indoctrinated to believe, what am I? And that's a very scary place. And I, I just wondered what your thoughts were, because it, it occurred to me, too, when you were just talking a moment ago about jingoism. And uh, when I lived in Northern Europe, uh, I lived in Amsterdam for two years. And when I first got there, my Dutch friends were like, is it true that you have to pledge allegiance to your flag every morning in school? And I said, yes. And then they made me say the Pledge of Allegiance and they couldn't believe it that this manufactured nationalism was so ingrained in us from the time we were five. And I was one of the kids, I was part of a quartet that sang the national anthem before football games at my high school. So I was always in the middle of this throughout my childhood. And I grew up in New Jersey. I didn't grow up in an area that I think was 
crazy jingoistic, except we had a lot of historical places, Washington, everywhere he slept, we had to visit on a class trip. So this was all along the way. And I mean, I will always be American because I was born in America. Like you said, it's it's a random thing. And there are things that are factual. But when it comes to belief systems, you know, you, you talk about people converting between religions and, it, you know, one being more true than another. And it all starts to come apart when you really look at things logically. And I just I more wondered what you thought about the identity question and how hard it is for people to give up that identity or explore the idea of a different one, because you can't get away from your skin color or or your sexuality or some of these other things, although some believe you can. But when it comes to religion, it is a belief system. So it is about what you believe. And if you suddenly realize you were wrong, that can be a hard thing to let go of. And I just wondered what you thought. You and I could probably have a whole broadcast discussion on the concept of social death, which I think is one of the reinforcers that keeps people who are often biblically illiterate, keeps them grafted to a Christian church, a sense of my community, my identity, perhaps sometimes even superiority. It's like I walk into a room as someone who is an evolution denier. And I'm like, well, did you know this? And did you see this? And did you, are you aware of this connection we have with our fellow primates? And, you know, everything from our brain case, our reproductive systems, our digestive systems, our fingerprints, you know, all of these other things, the pores on our skin. You can go, oh, our genetic tie and how we're closer to chimps than chimps are to gorillas genetically. You can go through all of it and they just blink at you. It doesn't make any difference because it is, first of all, an attack on their specialness and they want to feel special. Two, If they were to embrace evolution in a creationist culture, they might experience a kind of social death where they would become ostracized and maybe even cast out, at least emotionally, by people that they really want to have a connection with, people that mean a lot to them. So many social reinforcers. This can be true with politics, I think, as well. It's hard to break through when people have made an emotional connection to something and you bring in the data and they just blink. Because for them, it's not really about the data. It's about belonging and specialness. I don't have a solution, but I know what you're talking about. Well, cool. Well, Well, (laughs) I don't know what more there is to say. Yeah, it it occurred to me as as, uh, one of your callers was talking about his family and was really prevalent to me there. I would also ask him where he fell in the birth order because I found that among people older than me, even siblings, they felt they had a privilege to tell me what I was or who I was or what I should be thinking because I was viewed as younger. My family just happens to be very ageist. So that would have been my question as well, that your parents certainly always feel like they can tell you what to do or what you should think or what you should feel. And I think writ larger is society doing that with, like you said, these reinforcers. Because I, you know, I remember coming back from Northern Europe and visiting my my parents, and my stepfather saying, "United States is the best country in the world. Never forget that." And I said, "Well, how many countries have you been to?" Knowing full well he'd never left the United States, and I wasn't lording that over him or anything. It was just you don't know what you don't know, and being exposed to new information, it never occurred to me that the Pledge of Allegiance was weird until I went to Europe. And then I realized, you know, there's there's a lot of things about being American that are very manufactured. We are an invented country. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, you know, it's one of those things that you have to take into account when you look at things dispassionately and have to make decisions. And unfortunately, socially, we're not there yet because of religion. And it's it's a hard thing to deal with. But well, thank and, you for and the pledge is another example of social death. Someone in a classroom says, I don't want to say the pledge. Mm -hmm. I think this is kind of culty. If I pledge any allegiance, it will be to truth. But the idea of like my country, right or wrong, I don't, I don't want to say a pledge just to my country at face value. What happens to that person? They're vilified. They're demonized. You're a traitor. And often they are punished, you know, by the school system itself. And then they make national news because they didn't say the pledge and it blew up in their faces. I mean, there's so many reinforcers. 
So you draw a circle around one of the big problems that we have with a sense of belonging. People are afraid that they might do, think, or say anything that might not make them belong. And getting past that is going to be a challenge. So thanks for uh, talking about it with us, Stephen. Much appreciated. Thank you, Seth. Have a good day. Yeah, see you. I think uh, stuff like this is one of the reasons we talk about the need for a social safety net. I think David McRaney, when he was on the show talking about his book, How Minds Change, if someone feels like there might be another place to go, people that have their back, then they might be more inclined to challenge the party line over here. Right? Point A doesn't make much sense. I might resist more if I know that point B is a safe place, a place that I might be able to sort of lean into in a pinch. And it's hard for us as independent thinkers, but we're also part of a communal species. And I feel like this is one of the reasons that we need to focus on building community safety nets. That way, when someone is challenging or thinking about challenging the dogma, bad ideas, bad people, they don't feel like they'll be twisting alone isolated, abandoned in the wind, there will be a social structure. There will be a community that has their back. That means people like you and me. It's certainly something that I think we should be talking about and focusing on. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you are safe and well. I will see you back here next time. Follow The Thinking Atheist on Facebook and Twitter. For a complete archive of podcasts and videos, products like mugs and t-shirts featuring the Thinking Atheist logo, links to atheist pages and resources, and details on upcoming free thought events and conventions, log on to our website, thethinkingatheist.com. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.